Hey, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining us. This is the third week of our series, Not Easily Broken. And I want to begin by giving a shout out uh, to all of you who are watching us online. I want to especially give a shout out and celebrate the fact that we've got some folk today watching us from Maryland. So if you're in Maryland, go in and make some noise. Praise God. And I also want to celebrate those of you who are watching us from our San Jose campus. Thank you so very much. A special hello to the first-time guests that are joining us today at our San Jose campus. Go ahead and make some noise in San Jose, everybody. Oh, my goodness, it's a blessing uh, to be seen and connected to all of you. Come on, let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. We ask that you pour your spirit out in a very fresh way and do a transformative work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you say love's hidden ally. Yeah, if somebody's sitting next to you, just turn to them and say, do you know love has a hidden ally? Come on, type it in the chat. Type this in the chat. I wonder what love's hidden ally is. <laughs> what is it? But you might just type, what is it? <laughs> Praise God. We're going we gotta to deal with that today in the context of our relationships. Now, our theme text we're looking at every week is Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning at verse 9, spoken by the wises of the wise King Solomon. Listen to what he says. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is, let's say it together, not easily broken. Theme for this series. All right. Let's look at the text we were at last week. Let's return to that same companion text, John chapter 15, verse 12. Jesus is in the final hours just prior to crucifixion, and these are his last uh, few hours with his disciples, summarizing the essence of what he tried to teach over the course of three and a half years. Here's what he says. This is my commandment, Jesus said, love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. There ends the reading. God, we ask your blessings on this teaching in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been following us, you've heard me say for the last couple of weeks that as I prayed about how God wants to position and use NBCC in the year 2024, which will be filled with a lot of ups and downs. What, as I prayed about, what was the word that God wanted to, me to begin to shape this year with as I would talk to you at the beginning? What I kept hearing was connect, connect, connect. And at the end of the day, this connection, as I told you, was God calling us to go deeper in our connection with others and go deeper in our connections with him. And what's very unique is uh, one of the ways to go deeper in our relationship with God is to deepen our relationship with each other, particularly faith-filled relationships. Now, connect is not just about connection alone. What God means, and what we mean when we say connect, we mean connect and care. That the suggestion is that God is saying we need to uh, define ourselves in a network of relationships that will carry us through difficult times and that will support us and be a part of our blessing in good times. So last week I said to you, uh, particularly in the context of being a part of NBCC's ministry online or in person in San Jose, uh, don't just drop in and drop out. Make it your goal to be a friend 
to the folk in your life, deepen your relationships, and to be a friend inside the context of NBCC. Oh, that means taking a risk. If you're online, the, maybe the reason why you're online is because you just don't trust churches. And so I want to suggest to you, God is saying, take a risk. Don't just watch. Join a virtual small group that is connected to NBCC or join a serving team. If you're in San Jose, I'm going to invite you to take a risk. We need one another. So don't just pop in and pop out, hang out, eat some donuts and coffee, and figure out how you can be a friend in that context. Join a small group or a serving team or connect with one other person. Be a friend. But today I want to talk about this notion in a Another unique way. Let's go back to the words of Jesus once again as we drill down a little bit. Here's what he says as we think about this. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. And there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, if you're married, I want you to especially listen in. There's a word for married couples here. If you're dating or in a long-term relationship trying to figure out, is this the right one? I want you to especially lean in uh, because there's a word for you here. If you're just trying to figure out in a platonic relationship how to be a better friend, you listened last week and you thought you were a really good friend, but you found some deficits there and you want to grow, become a better friend, I want you to lean in. Somebody say lean in. Lean in. Pay particular attention. There's a word here for you. All right, let's look at this. Let's look at it. Let's start here. Everybody shout love. Jesus says, there is no greater love. Meaning, Jesus is saying it like this. The love that I'm about to describe is absolutely the greatest expression of love on the planet. It is absolutely the highest quality of love. It is absolutely love at its best. And if you want a thriving relationship, whether it is a friendship uh, on your job, or in your personal life, or a marriage, you want to center around this kind of love. There is no greater love, he says, than one who will lay down one's life. Lay down one's life, he says. Uh, the best way to describe this love that is willing to lay down one's life is like this. Love is a rugged commitment to be with and to be for the other. I love this definition. I've come back to it week after week. I just want you to get this. notice that part. Rugged commitment, really to go through the bad times and the horrible times and the good times of you and, and, and declare I'm with you and for you. Ah, it is a rugged commitment. I'm willing to even lay down my life for a friend. Brings us to the first insight. One of the secret ingredients to a lasting, healthy marriage is friendship. You might think about it in this context. Love's hidden ally at work in a marriage is friendship. Ron and I have been married for 37 years. Can you believe that? Wow. 37 years. The girl doesn't look too much older than 37, does she? <laughs> <laughs> but if you were here, I mean, if she was here talking to you about our marriage, she would say, look, it's, it's a wonderful marriage, but it took a lot of hard work and tears and prayers and pain to get what we got. That the first 10 years were horrendously difficult. We thought we were going to come apart and stay apart more times than we can count. And if she was here, she would say there was two secrets that uh, to our, our 37 years, 
The first secret she would identify is faith. We believed and knew that God had put us together. And we were determined to be faithful to God even when we didn't like being with one another. Faith. The second secret ingredient to our 37 years, I'm sure she would say, is friendship. Friendship. Listen up. After the wedding is over and you get started your marriage and you start doing life together, here's what I can assure you. The romance will come and go. In some cases, it will never come again. <laughs> the sex will rise and fall. I heard somebody said the other day that if, uh, if you want to stop having sex, get married. <laughs> I want to say to you <laughs> that that is not always true. I'm witness to the fact that that's not always true. But there are others who are watching me who are witnesses to the fact that that is absolutely true. And yet they have remained in a loving, nurturing marriage. How? Hair is going to start falling out in places that it used to be in abundance. It's going to start showing up in some places you are shocked. <laughs> the thin is going to get wider. Your steps are going to get shorter. Sickness comes. All kinds of other challenges come. Heartbreak and pain comes. How do you work it through? Friendship. Rhonda would say that the way we made it through in addition to our faith was that we were each other's best friend. That was love's hidden ally in our relationship. So I counsel married couples with these several points. I want to work through them pretty quickly. Number one, if you're married, protect and nurture your friendship. The first thing that means is be each other's best friend. What does it mean to be each other's best friend? It means to be one another's first. Rhonda is my first. Rhonda is the first person that I think about, that I text, that I phone in the high notes of life. When something wonderful happens to me, when I want to celebrate, she is the first person. Not my colleagues, not my college friends, not in, she is the first person. Rhonda is the first person that I think about and turn to when I want to do something extraordinary, exciting, and fun in life. Now, if she's not up for it, then I've got a list of other folks that I can work through, but she's my first. What about you and your relationship with your marriage and your significant other? What about you? Secondly, to protect and nurture one's uh, friendship means that you work on, right, this, because if you're not there, you have to work on what I've just talked about, being each other's first, and you work on being each other's safe friend, safe friend. You can substitute friend with place, being each other's safe place. What it means is this. When I experience big failure in my life, when there's a huge mistake that I've made, when things just doesn't go right at work and I'm, I'm just drained and stressed and overwhelmed, when I get deeply hurt, the first person that I turn to is Rhonda. She's my safe friend. She's my safe place. And I can turn to her because I can depend on her that when I go to her in that moment of being heartbroken or having messed up or some failure, that she's not going to use that moment uh, to, to, to bring back something that she was upset about two weeks ago. Or yesterday, she's not going to say, well, it makes sense to me that, uh, you know, that happened to you at work because you've been insensitive for the last three months. She's not going to say that right there in that moment, no. 
She's going to listen and let me talk. And, and if I need to cry, I can cry and she'll be with me. Come on. She's going she's to speak encouragement into my life. She's my safe space. She's going to pray for me. She's going to speak God's word into my life. She's my safe space. What about you? Are you your spouse or your significant other? Safe space? Are you your platonic best friend's safe space? Or when they come to you about their problems, you hijack the conversation and start talking mostly about your problems. What about you? If this is not you, you can learn this to be the case. And if you're trying to figure out whether or not a person is the right person or not, these are the things, these are the questions you've got to address and talk through. And if they're not, can they learn? All right, let's go back to the text. So number one, protect and nurture your friendship. Be each other's best friend inside of your marriage and even and outside in platonic relationships. Secondly, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now here Jesus is talking about watching this. He's going to prioritize my soul and your soul over his life. He's going to prioritize saving us. As a result, in order to save us, he's going to sacrifice himself. We become his priority. Now, those of you who are married or in a long-term relationship, here's the deal. If you take the principle I'm about to teach you now, you can solve, you can solve about 90 to 95% of your arguments. You can turn a toxic atmosphere into a sweet atmosphere if you would dare practice the insight that I'm about to give you now. All right, you heard a little bit about this last week, but I'm re recontextualizing it in this context. Notice, are you, are you ready for it? Here it is. Prioritize the needs of your best friend over your own. If you practice this in your marriage or if you practice this in your platonic, just really good friend relationships, it'll be transformative. All right. This is at the very heart of what Scripture teaches over and over again. Notice what Paul says in Romans 12, 9 through 10. He says this, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Here's how you know it's authentic. Be good friends. Watch this. Be good friends who love deeply. Here it is. I love the message translation. Practice playing second fiddle. There it is. Yeah. To practice playing second, number one, practice. Can you say practice? It means that we're not really good at putting other interests ahead of ours. That's not really something we're, we're, we're uniquely selfish people. And I said last week, if you were listening, that it is, it is impossible for us to be uniquely self-centered and self-absorbed and, and, and selfish and be best friends and be great spouses at the same time. You can't. You can't. But to be second fiddle means that I'm going to put my spouse or I'm going to put my best friend First, I'm, I'm, my music is going to support their music. The spotlight is on them. They're in the center of the stage. And a really healthy couple, they're, they're able to go back and forth in the, playing the part of second fiddle. You're second fiddle today, I'm second fiddle tomorrow. Highlighting the other. The same verse is translated like this in the New Living Translation. And take delight. Notice that word delight. Say delight. In other words, find joy. In honoring each other. Oh, this is something some of us have to work on. I love this word, honor. 
You know, when the president walks in the room, everybody uh, stands back. The president goes first. When the event is over, the president leaves first. It's one of the ways we honor the president, letting the president go first. That's how we honor the significant others, the spouses in our lives, by letting them go first. And, and the text says, take delight in letting them go first. Get excited about it, right? And again, a healthy relationship is that is, is this goes back and forth between you honor me today, I honor you tomorrow. It's not tip for tat. It's just the way, it's the rhythm of our relationship. What TV show should we watch? Oh, you pick. No, I picked last night. You picked today. What restaurant? We go? Oh, you, you, you choose. I'm, gonna honor, I'm honoring you. Oh, no, 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 no. I chose last time. You picked it. And then I like Ephesians 5, 21. It is specifically addressed to married couples. It begins with these words, submit. Everybody shout submit. That, the word submit means to give up ground that is rightfully mine. I have a right to this ground. But because I really love you beyond words, I mean I love it, I give it up to you. I submit. Watch the text. One to another. Both sides. Out of reverence, out of high respect for Jesus Christ. Didn't I tell you guys that the way Ron and I made it through the tough times was, was that when we didn't like each other, and there were times when we didn't like each other, we loved Jesus. And because of our respect for Jesus, and because our desire to be faithful to Jesus, it had everything to do with how we served one another. Even in those days, we didn't like each other. Notice what Paul says, particularly to husbands. Just a quick word to husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You can translate that like this. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and was crucified for her. You see this notion? Husbands, at the end of the day, Paul is talking about the leadership role of, of the husband. And, and guys, at the end of the day, the leadership role of husband is not about having the last word. It's not about being dominating. Uh, it's not about getting your way. The leadership role of a husband is to be willing to crucify himself to elevate the spouse, to honor the spouse. And the text goes on and says that there's healing inside of that experience. You know how to find this? At the end of the day, relationships that thrive, they are Burger King relationships. Have it your way. <laughs> relationships that struggle are the opposite. Have it my way. Somebody or both is saying, I want to have it my way. I'll let you have it this time, but the, all the next ten times I want it my way. But that's not Jesus' way. You can learn a different way. Now, let's go back to the text once again as we move towards our end. Then, there is no greater love, Jesus said, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. All right. Here's an incredibly deep insight, especially for married couples. Jesus is saying, in the next few moments, I'm going to be crucified. And Isaiah says he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The punishment that should have been upon us, he took upon himself. Paul says that the wages of sin that all of us are due is death. Come on now. But the gift of 
God is eternal life, and it comes through what Jesus did. The punishment that should have been dropped on us, God chooses not to. But through Jesus, takes it onto himself. All right, here's the insight. If you take that and apply it to your marriage, if you say, I want to be like Jesus, that's the point, right? Especially for Jesus' father, I want to be like Jesus in my marriage. Here it is. Learn to put down your right to punish while practicing unconditional forgiveness. Let's split this. Put down your right to punish. Yes, the person hurts you, your spouse or your good friend. Yes, you have a right to be upset. Yes, you have a right to punish them. But if you want to be like Jesus, if you want to love like Jesus, you want to be the kind of friend, love others as he has loved us, you choose to put down your right to punish. This is what breaks the cycle of you hurt me, I hurt you, you hurt me, I hurt you, you hurt me, I hurt you. In a marriage or in a friendship, it breaks the cycle. Wow, I have a right to. So it means in some relationships, we punish by withholding sex on both sides, men and women. In other relationships, we punish by giving the silent treatment for two weeks. In other relationships, I'm talking about after people have acknowledged and apologized and all of that, we're going to still punish them. In other relationships, somebody did something really horrible. Maybe they, they cheated and you decided, you know what, I'm going to stay with you. And they have repented and, and they have tried to be the best, but you decide to stay with them so you could spend the next 30 years punishing them by reminding them every single time you can. That is not God's way. Give up your right. Then secondly, unconditional forgiveness. Jesus makes forgiveness available to you and me with no strings attached through his own death on the cross. We have to be willing to make forgiveness available with no strings attached. That doesn't mean that we don't reshape our expectations. It doesn't mean that we don't redraw boundaries at various times. It doesn't mean that we don't, but, but it does mean often that we have to reprogram our thinking. Yeah. Quick story. My wife, uh, biological father, was a fantastic handyman. Just great. He could build a house. My wife's brother, Robert, also a pastor and a lawyer, it's also fantastic with his hands. He can build a house if he needed to. He's amazing. Nothing he can fix. If he can't fix it, he can figure it out. So when Rhonda married me, part of her understanding what it meant to have a husband was to have a person who if things got broke around the house, he'd fix it. I'm horrible at fixing things. <laughs> so when she'd ask me to fix X, Y, and Z, I'd procrastinate, I'd put it off, and so forth and so on. She'd be upset, would be wounded, be a whole lot of fussing and arguing and all that kind of stuff, hurt and pain. And finally... She ultimately came to a point where, A, she could forgive me for the, the way I was delaying because she ultimately realized that I didn't have those gifts. And so she had to reshape her expectation. Listen, I can't fix <laughs> the broken thing. I can break it, but I can't fix it. <laughs> but I can't call on my phone and say, can you come fix this? <laughs> That's my gift, y'all. <laughs> That's my gift, praise God. <laughs> That's my gift. So you know what? She had to reprogram her thinking because part of how she thought about a faithful, really good, effective husband was someone who could fix things. She had to reshape it from someone who can fix her expectations, from someone who could fix to someone who can call. And hold me accountable around that. So sometimes we have to reshape and reprogram our thinking 
But our forgiveness has to be unconditional. Now, I'm going to wrap this up with this last point because, because I want to, I want to, I've backed into why so many couples are having some horrible times. Here it is right here. The key to a transformative friendship inside of a marriage, the key to a transformative friendship among platonic friends that really want to do life together, maybe in a small group or just two by two, the key to a transformative friendship, here's the other ally to love, is knowing the other's story. Not just being familiar with, but to know the other person's story. Rhonda indicated at one point in her life when she learned my story early on. We started dating early. She learned my story about my scarring at six months of age, about my being informally adopted, about all the ways that I was rejected as a kid growing up, my special education, special needs days. She learned my story about how I was almost a flunk out of school, and God came in and literally transformed my life. And when she met me, uh, I was succeeding. When she met me, I just finished two terms as uh, the president of the third leading NAACP chapter on the, of, of the college chapter in the nation, on my way to becoming Student Government Association president, on and on and on. And one of the things that I, she would articulate that she found attractive was how I had overcome all of the challenges, how I had overcome all of the traumas that threatened to undermine my life. I had somehow overcome it, and she appreciated the fact that I knew that God was in the center, but I had overcome it. But what she would learn when we got into marriage together is that just because I had overcome it did not mean that I had worked through it. Let me illustrate. My God. You see, it's possible. We all got baggage. And in the baggage are yesterday's traumas. And we all, at some point, number of us, we have been able to overcome, step over yesterday's traumas. Come on now, our baggage. But we still have our baggage with us. Come on, we're cute, but we still got our baggage. We're handsome, we still got our baggage. We got money, but we still got our baggage. And when you get into the marriage, you'll discover, come on, that just because I've stepped over my traumas does not mean that I have processed them. And oftentimes, they become the source. Oh, y'all, they listed. Let me put it like this. Yesterday's traumas, unprocessed, becomes tomorrow's drama. Did you hear it? Let me say it again. Yesterday's trauma, they're going to put it on the screen, is tomorrow's drama. And it's only in marriage we discover that we got to open up our lives and we got to start looking through, digging through. And we got to actually look at the stuff that we've balled up and put away. Uh, uh, in my early first 10 years, I had to look at what it meant to be yesterday's trauma being passed by relationally and how it led to drama, my feeling of lack of trust in Rhonda. I had to look at yesterday's trauma. Let's see what it was. You got to open it up. You got to look at it. How my embarrassment and shame as a kid would ultimately lead to me overreacting when I was critiqued or criticized or corrected in my early years. Burst forth in anger, upset. I kept looking. Come on, you had to figure this out. Wait a minute. I had to look at my trauma. Come on. 
Come on, I had to figure this out that, oh, my goodness, that my rejection in my yesterday, yesterday's trauma uh, became in my uh, first 10 years the drama surrounding not being, feeling like I was good enough. So I overworked and overworked and overworked when perhaps I should have been at home. You have to look at it. You have to unfold them in your marriage. And when you do, here is the insight you'll discover that beneath the drama in your story, beneath the drama, whatever drama you're having in your marriage, beneath that drama is always a story of trauma. So when you listen to, when you fall in love and you hear the story, Rhonda would teach this if she was here, rejoice over the high moments. But when you see the low notes, the trauma and the pain, don't just wash over that and think, you know what, uh, I'm the knight in shining armor. I'm going to rescue. I, I can just kiss that pain away. No, 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 no. You need to recognize that those places of trauma, come on now, will ultimately lead to the drama in your marriage. And you got to begin to unpack so you can make space for it. My goodness. So here's the point. The key to a transforming friendship is knowing the other person's story that well. Let me say it again so I can put it on the screen. The key to a transformative friendship is knowing the other's story. You get it? Let me wrap it up here. <laughs> Give you an example. More often beneath the, the traumas in, of our lives, we were either abused, we were abandoned, or we were rejected. A number of years ago, my wife and I went out with a couple of friends and had pizza. I ordered the pizza that had a lot of fixing and some pineapple on it. <laughs> Robert, my brother-in-law, and sister-in-law, and Rhonda all said, we don't want that. That's nasty. That's your pizza. We're going to eat this pizza over here. In the course of it all, when my pizza came, they said, that's your pizza. They gathered together around their pizza, and I went quiet. Rhonda recognized me and said, what's wrong? I said, nothing. Had this happened many years earlier, I would have had an enormous attitude. Maybe I would have gotten up and just left for something of that nature. And by, for certain, when we got home, I would have exploded because here's what was happening. When that action took place, that's your pizza, we're going to be over here, it reminded me of my days of shame when kids used to say, you stay over there and we're going to play together over here. It triggered in my brain. And I immediately had the reaction, and, 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 and it tempted me. That was yesterday's trauma that was trying to become today's drama. But watch this. As we work through our traumas, guys, I want to tell you, I don't think we're ever fully, completely healed of our traumas. But we become healthy when we're able to recognize the trauma and manage it. So when I got home and Rhonda said what was wrong, rather than me exploding, rather than me accusing, because ten, in the first 10 years, I would say, I can't believe you did that to me, embarrassed me, isolated with me. What were you thinking? Oh, my goodness. I, 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 why did you treat me that way? And it would have been a huge fight. She would have said, what? What? But, but. but when we got home, she said, what happened? I said, yesterday's trauma was trying to create some drama. And then I explained to her what it was. And she said, oh, my God. She says, I'm sorry. I said, no worries. 
I said, it wasn't about you and Robert and April. You guys were in a separate narrative. But my brain was trying to take you and drop you back in the narrative of my yesterday's trauma. But because I recognized it, God gave me the grace to manage it. So there's no need to argue or explode. I, I understand. That's where you want to get in your marriage. That you can recognize your trauma. Sometimes you need some counseling support to get there. Sometimes you need some really good faithful friends to get there. But that's where you got to get. Let me wrap this up like this. Our traumas are produced by all the unloving things that happened to us in the past. The healing that we require is required to come in an unconditional loving form. And so often we look for people to play that role. My husband, my wife, my mama, my daddy, my boss, whatever the case is. And we put them in the primary place in our lives. But no imperfect person can love you perfectly. So you need to take that person and make that person secondary. And you need to take Jesus and make Jesus primary. Come on now. Because when he dies on the cross, no greater love than this, than one that will give up his life for his friends. And I have called you friends. When he dies on the cross, come on, you see abuse. You see abandonment. You see resentment. When he dies at his worst, when he dies on the cross, come on, he's crawling into your trauma and into my trauma so that he can, through his death and resurrection, rewrite the drama in our lives. Come on now. To give us a new narrative when he dies and rises from the dead. You know, prior to that, if you are a person of faith, uh, in the Old Testament days, you had to live perfectly. 600 plus laws. But he reshapes the relationship through his death and resurrection. He moves us from having to be flawless and sets us in a relationship that we just need to be faithful. And when we fall, when our yesterday traumas try to dictate today's drama. He has grace and he has forgiveness and he perfectly and unconditionally loves us. And when he is the primary lover of our souls, the primary source of unconditional love, then other people can become the secondary sources and everything lines up and we'll discover healing for ourselves, for our marriage and for our relationship. Not perfect healing faithful healing so that we can see, recognize, and manage and keep growing. Oh, praise be to God. This is the greatest love. Can you say amen? Amen.